0: what history tells us about our future with artificial intelligence. I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Dr. Carl Benedict Frey, author, Oxford Martin city fellow at Oxford university and director of the program on the future of work at Oxford Martin school. Welcome Dr. Frey. Pleasure to be with you. Give us a brief summary of your professional background.
1: Well, I'm an economist and economic historian by background and my main field of work has to do with technological change, how that impacts our lives as consumers, um, but more importantly um, as workers. Um, And I think many of the changes that have taken place in the labour market over the centuries have been due to technology that have shifted us from farms and factories to uh, air-conditioned offices. and and in the future, presumably more to the virtual space. Um, And that transition is something that fascinates me and it's what I spend most of my time thinking about.
0: What does AI in our business and social spaces today have in common with what people experienced at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution?
1: Well, artificial intelligence is obviously a very different technology from the spinning machines and the steam-powered factories of the first industrial uh, revolution. But what it does have in common is some of the social and economic effects it has on our societies and labor markets. And similarly to many of the early spinning machines, artificial intelligence is a labor-saving technology. It means that it's going to replace uh, people in a lot of jobs and industries and and it also means that it leads to structural change those people will have to find something new to do and and in periods of time where there are limited alternative job options for people with lower skills for example they may struggle to find new well-paying jobs and that's something we saw during the first industrial revolution where wages were stagnant or even falling for people on the lower end of the income distribution. And and it's also true for the past 30 years or so, as robots have taken over a lot of factory work, uh, people uh, that used to be sort of family middle income have shifted down to jobs of lower pay. And what our research suggests is that uh, looking forward, artificial intelligence similarly primarily threatens the jobs of low-skilled people, whether that is taxi drivers, whether it's receptionists, whether people working in call centers, those are all jobs that typically don't require a college degree. Those are all jobs that are threatened by automation.
0: What role did delayed productivity growth play in the 19th century, and how might we see it in the 21st century?
1: Yeah, so the gains, as you mentioned, from uh, technology in terms of productivity have always been delayed. So, steam engines, for example, were invented in the late um, 18th century. Uh, we only felt them or see them sort of appear in the productivity statistics by the mid uh, 19th century. Uh, the same is true of electricity. So, the first electric motor- motors were introduced in factories in the 1880s and we only saw electricity have a a significant impact on productivity growth in the 1920s. The same is true with computers, which took decades to show up in the productivity statistics, and and artificial intelligence, well, we haven't seen the productivity benefits yet. And and the reason for that is simply that it takes a long time for businesses to figure out how they can restructure their production uh, processes to take advantage and of these new technologies. So if we take the electrification of factories, for example, it took a long time for factory owners to figure out that they couldn't just, you know, displace the steam engine as the prime source, power source in the factory with an electric motor. They could actually even equip every single machine with its own electric motor. And that allowed them to get rid of all the shafts and countershafts shafts in the factories and sequence the machinery according to the natural flow uh, to the natural flow of production, which gave rise to, uh, to mass production and allowed for soaring productivity growth. And we are still in that process of figuring out uh, exactly how to use AI in the most productive manner um, in our businesses. And And to some extent, the technology uh, in certain ways is just not as good yet, right? So the reason why we think about uh, James Watt, uh, Watt as the, the, the uh, inventor of the steam engine, rather than Thomas Newcomb, for example, is that he made it energy efficient. And, and if we look at artificial intelligence today, it requires a lot of data, right? So a lot of people will remember this iconic moment when uh, um, AlphaGo managed to beat the world champion in Go. Well, it did so by playing many more games than any human could ever possibly play in their lifetime. right? So the experience it drew upon was a lot more significant than that of any human player. Uh, So humans are a lot more data experience efficient, if you like, and I suspect for artificial intelligence to become and uh, to have a um, real impact on productivity growth, it will need to become a lot more data efficient because in most domains, we don't have that much data.
0: In past productivity revolutions, gains from growth shifted from the bottom to the top of income distribution and from labor to owners of capital. Will that happen with AI and how should we prepare for it?
1: Yeah, that is one of the key concerns, going back to the Industrial Revolution, as you mentioned. So before then, most people you know, owned the capital they used themselves, right? There wasn't this sort of division between uh, capital and labor, and that was a source of lots of conflict during the first Industrial Revolution. With the falling labor share of income more recently, it has become a concern yet again. And And if artificial intelligence turns out as we expect to be, Uh, quite a labour-replacing technology, we might see that trend being exacerbated. And and we may also see uh, a lot of more discontent towards technology itself as a consequence of that. So during the first industrial revolution, for example, the Luddites famously expressed their frustration with the mechanized factory by going out and smashing machinery they perceived threatened their jobs. And more recently, we've seen several strikes against the introduction of robots in harbors, and people protesting against the protest uh, uh, prospect of uh, autonomous trucks being introduced. And, and going forward, uh, you know, we're in the midst of a recession at the moment where people have uh, very bad, very poor outside job options. And we tend to see, particularly in uh, recessions, that Loddart uh, sentiment tends to return. So we saw it during the Great uh, Recession, for example, where the Roosevelt administration actually introduced legislation, even to ban the introduction of machinery in certain industries. We saw a revival of um, automation anxiety and during the recessions. We saw it in the aftermath of the Great Recession. And I think we're going to see it uh, yet again. So this combination of the falling share of labor income People seeing worsening outside job options, which uh, makes it more uh, harsh to lose your job to automation, and sort of threatens a similar backlash against technological change, and I, I think that's a really concern going forward.
0: What is our takeaway from history? How should we prepare for artificial intelligence?
1: Well, I think the key takeaway is that the vast improvements in our living standards that we've seen are mainly due to technological change. It's technology that allows us to produce more with fewer people and earn higher incomes as a result of that over the long run. It's technology that has allowed us to introduce new goods and services that were entirely inconceivable 200 years ago. Uh, it's technology that allowed us to move from very hazardous jobs in mining and agriculture and factories to air-conditioned offices. So over the long run, there is no question that there's been a sort of tremendous source of growth and prosperity for everyone. Um, but the short-term Im- impacts can be very s- uh, disruptive. And as the great economist Joseph Schumpeter noted, and um, it comes with creative destruction in um, employment. Um, And there's a tendency for us when we focus on the long run, we think a lot in terms of averages, right? Average incomes have grown enormously over the long run. The average worker is much better off and so on. Um, But that doesn't mean that everybody's uh, made is becoming better off in the short run and the factory workers who lost their jobs to china's import competition or to the introduction of robots they've seen their wages falling in real terms in the united states over the past 30 years they have been net losers if you like to automation as the Luddites did uh, over the first industrial revolution and you know there's a sort of tendency to ridicule people like the Luddites as being backward and you know failing to understand the benefits that technology finally brought to us but they were not the ones who stood to benefit from mechanisation, so their opposition to it actually made sense. And I think that is something that policy need to realise. We need to make sure that the transition is a smoother one. And, and that is also why we introduced you know, uh, welfare systems, uh, public education, uh, and you know, allowed, sort of made it easier for people to travel and move around uh, to help sort of, uh, manage that uh, transition. And and I think that is something that is important to keep in mind.
0: How can someone connect with you or or find out about your book, The Technology Trap, Capital, Labor and Power in the Age of Automization?
1: You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Carl B. Frey, and I'm happy to share um, any further writings or articles about uh, uh, the book as well, uh, if you connect.
0: Thanks again, Dr. Carl Benedict Frey, author, Oxford Martin City Fellow at Oxford University and director of the program of the Future of Work at Oxford Martin School. Thanks again uh, for joining us, uh, Carl. Good to
1: be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: And find more of my interviews right here or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.